Hello and welcome to Little Fictions On Air. I'm Ella Watson-Russell, your host. Each episode, Little Fictions On Air brings you the best in short Australian fiction, read by actors in our studio or recorded at one of our live session venues. In today's episode, we're bringing you a special treat for the Yuletide season, a radio play featuring many of the actors you've been listening to over the past few months. Today's play is based on a quirky story called I Hate Crime Fiction by Melbourne writer Eddie Berger. Eddie writes funny and experimental fiction and poetry. His work has appeared in Australian and international journals and anthologies. Eddie is an anti-realist, postmodernist, and champion of the imagination, as you'll see from the adaptation of his work. Eddie was in the audience at Haymarket Library when the play was performed as part of the Late Night Library series in 2017, and he declared it to be a corker. I Hate Crime Fiction was first published by Spineless Wonders in the crime fiction anthology Crime Scenes, which was edited by crime writer Zane Lovett. It is a piece of postmodern writing which pokes fun at some of the well-worn tropes from the crime genre. You'll recognise many of them, I'm sure. This is a lot of fun for crime fiction fans, as well as those of you who love comedy and the radio play tradition. And just before we begin, please be aware that some of today's episode does contain strong language. Now sit back, relax and enjoy I Hate Crime Fiction. I was at my favourite diner. Chowing down on a burger with my offsider, Jimmy, when I got a call about a murder. A big-time crime novelist, Miss Tory, had been shot in her hotel room. I polished off my burger in the car as we made for the Grand Incubus, keen to make good time. It was about 10am when I got the call, and by 10.15 the hotel was swarming with fans, sticky beaks and the press. Some bellhop had tweeted the whole world before the first cops arrived. A constable showed us to the victim's body. She was dressed in a nightie and dressing gown, the victim, not the constable. Seated at the desk, slumped over a laptop, exit wound in the back of her head. A funny thing for a crime novelist to be murdered, like she'd been tempting fate or something. Of course, this kind of hubris happened all the time in crime fiction, but in real life it was rare. And this is a true story. I bet she ain't wrote about this one. Then maybe she did, Jimmy, I said. Maybe she did. The dame was bent forward like she'd been propped there so the blood could saturate the keyboard, like the killer was hoping to destroy whatever was on the computer. Had Miss Story written something the crook was crook about? Me and Jimmy inspected the scene and got a picture of how it must have gone down. The door to her suite hadn't been forced, so we figured the murderer pulled a gun on her when she answered the door. He must have told her his big idea about wanting her to die at her desk, and when she protested, he shot her. Or maybe he was having trouble keeping her quiet, so he shut her mouth with a bullet. Then again, maybe it was someone she knew, someone who didn't need a gun to gain admittance. A jilted lover, perhaps, or maybe he had jilted her. Maybe she tried to shoot him, but he turned the gun on her by accident. Maybe she had a habit of inviting people to her room just so she could kill them. What a sicko. It seemed this case was far from open and shut on account of my imagination. I had more imagination in my pinky finger than a dozen crime novelists mulched together in a big concrete blender. But I suppose that's pretty obvious. Once we were done with the crime scene, we interviewed the neighbouring guest as well as the bellhop who found the body. I yelled at her, a bellhop, not the body, for tweeting everyone. This place is a damn circus, I said. 
Sorry, sir, but it's such a crime what happened to Miss Story. What happened to Mystery? It's such a crime. Not necessarily, lass. A mystery could be a thriller, a story of the supernatural, or sci-fi. It doesn't have to be crime fiction. I hate crime fiction. I don't mean any disrespect to the dead, but the world's hardly any worse off with one less crime writer, is it? Ouch! Well, I ditched the conversation then. The kid wasn't making any sense. Neither the bellhop nor the hotel guest had seen or heard anything. I figured the killer must have used a silencer rather than, say, a pillow. There were lots of feathers around Miss Story's suite, but we attributed that to her well-known thing for chickens. The manager showed us recent video surveillance footage. She set us up in a cosy room, but we'd hardly put our feet out before we spotted the killer. Someone dressed as an old man with blah, 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 blah. I will omit the less interesting particulars of this investigation. Readers of crime fiction would no doubt find them riveting, but as I have stated, this is a true story. Having thus gained valuable insights, we then started interviewing blah, 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 blah. We got the staff of the hotel's posh restaurant to assemble in the kitchen. They were a shady looking bunch. It looked like a police lineup. Everyone looks suspicious when you think about it. During the quieter periods, I occupy myself with sinister thoughts. Just a game I play to while away the hours. But you get to wondering about the secret thoughts people are keeping. For example, I might be trying to will someone to stab their husband with a fork, but you'd never think it to look at me. I surprise myself sometimes with the horrors that fill my head. But that's how you have to be when you're a maitre d'. Always polite, despite my disgust for the clientele. Take it from me. Fancy restaurants are a breeding ground for murderers. God, the dame could prattle on. Talk the ears off a brass turd. But I gave her my card and me and Jimmy continued our rounds. One of the maids said he saw the old man while he was walking along the passage away from the writer's suite. There was long auburn hair sticking out from under his wig, but it was definitely a man for I could see stubble on his cheek that wasn't obscured by the fake beard. Judging by the lack of creases around his eyes, he must have been under 30. Oh, and he dropped this hanky. The maid shoved the snot rag in my face. It has blood on it. I think he had a blood nose. Yeah, I can see that. I waved it aside. Contact me when you find some real leads. Damn amateur detectives. We went back to the office to study up on Miss Story and sift through case files. Later that day, the girls at Forensic got back to us. They'd analysed a strand of hair, a bit of dead skin, blah, blah, blah. Managed to open the computer's hard drive, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, death of mystery is a real mystery, boss. What the hell are you talking about? The mystery, mystery. Jesus, Jimmy, since when did you start stuttering? It seemed the case was really getting to him, and he weren't the only one. Cases like this really busted my balls. I was tired of the rigmarole, but the tough ones still busted them big time. Always the same routine. Searching for clues. Chasing leads. Blah, blah, blah. I was so bored I started to wish it was me who copped the bullet. But I found consolation in the fact that it was a crime writer who'd copped it. Such were my feelings at the time. Harsh sentiments, maybe. And they came back to haunt me soon enough. Another crime novelist was killed. Then another. And another. Here was a killer who hated cry-fi almost as much as me. At least it cured Jimmy of his stuttering. Well, reduced it anyway. 
Yet you'd have to do a lot of killing to make a dent in the crime writing industry. Kill a few writers and you only gave the others more to write about. Make mincemeat of the whole industry and there'd be enough material for a dozen new publishing houses. Hundreds even. You'd have to make people afraid not only to write and publish it, but to read it as well. That got me thinking there might be other crimes we could link to the killer. Unsolved cases that didn't seem to have a motive. Like someone getting shot while reading a book. Or for something less serious, like punching a part-time copy editor. Or perhaps even a florist who just happened to be a closet crime fiction fan. But there was one hitch. If these crimes were meant to scare, the motive would have to be known. The public would need to know that all these crimes were happening because people actually read that crap. Me and Jimmy started making a list of likely victims. I rattled off just a few from the top of my head. Authors, readers, editors, publishers, printers, binders, paper suppliers, ink suppliers, computer manufacturers, booksellers, libraries and librarians, literary agents, publicists, critics and reviewers, book launch venues, book launch caterers, makers of wine, cheeses, crackers, olives and cocktail onions, plus anyone who might have helped or inspired an author, directly or indirectly. I looked at Jimmy for suggestions, and it seemed like there wasn't much going on upstairs. Going too fast for you, am I, Jimmy? Uh, no, boss. Uh, me, I was just uh, thinking of someone else we could add. Who? You. Me? Fooey. Open your eyes, Jimmy boy. This ain't no fiction. Anyway, who told you you could think? We could have thrown around hypotheses all night, but it was time we got to studying the unsolved case files. It was a time-consuming business. There was no end to it, particularly since we knew this guy was good at disguises. It made no difference if we had a description of the offender. He could have been African or Chinese, young or old. Jesus, I said to Jimmy. This guy could be responsible for every unsolved case in the last ten years. What about this robbery of a convenience store? Ain't you got no imagination? They always stock books. There would have been a few crime books for sure. Oh, what about this bike theft? Look where it was stolen from, Jimmy. A train station. The owner probably reads crime novels every time she rides a train. Eh, but that ain't the type of crime that's gonna make people afraid of buying books. Who's gonna know? Jesus, Jimmy, it was just a hypothesis. Look at the facts. Who told you you could think? Jimmy was getting on my nerves. Sometimes you had to wonder whose side he was on. The side of justice? Or the side of some lunatic trying to obliterate crime fiction from the face of the earth? Well, I was on the lunatic side on that score. But you can't just go around committing felonies, justifiably or not. It ain't legal. I took to the streets, leaving Jimmy crashed out on the office sofa. The night was dark, misty with rain. I didn't mind. It was the perfect time for some quiet contemplation. Soon I found myself in the vicinity of a familiar window. Her window. My old flame. The light was on. Entertaining guests, no doubt. That dame was trouble with a capital T. She made an hourglass look pregnant. She had legs up to her armpits and beyond. It would take an entire hosiery factory working in shifts to fit them. She had everyone in town after her. But I had no regrets. We had some fun times. It gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling in my groin just thinking about it. Yet now weren't the time for thinking about dames. Not while I was on a case. I doffed my hat and disappeared into the night. The next day, me and Jimmy looked through some solved cases, being the last thing our killer would expect. It seemed that every crime had been committed by our man, especially when you considered that so many of his victims could have been closet readers, 
hundreds of different crimes and hundreds of different felons, thousands even. There was no way this one guy committed them all. But one thing was certain. I wasn't ruling that out. I made a list of likely suspects and looked at Jimmy for suggestions. And it seemed like there wasn't much going on upstairs. Too much for you to take in, eh, Jimmy? Uh, no, boss. Uh, I was just thinking of someone else we could add. Who? You. Me. You hate crime writers so much, maybe you killed Miss Story and the others. Maybe you're behind the whole crime spree. Ah, you're kidding. I didn't kill her. I'm the sap spending all this time trying to catch the guy. Yeah, but maybe that's why we can't find him. Because you killed him, and you don't want no one to know. What's your angle, Jimmy? You gonna tell the chief you think I'm the killer? Oh, no, boss. I wouldn't tell her nothing. I just thought since we was trying to work out who did the killing... You thought it might help me solve the case if I suspected myself. Yeah, that's it, boss. That's what I was thinking. Well, keep it to yourself, Jimmy boy. If anyone else thought the same, it might hamper our investigation somewhat. Uh, Sure thing, boss. That crazy kid. He had a point, though. I could have been a suspect. Half the force must have heard me mouthing off how much I hated crime fiction. My motivation would have been the same as the killer's. There were no signs he'd been personally wronged. He just hated that stuff too. But before I had a chance to examine my conscience or seek counselling, we got our first big break. We'd been going through case files late one night when Jimmy popped out for a soda. When he came back, he threw me a letter. Must have been delivered late, he said. Might be important. It had my name on the envelope, spelt with letters cut out from newspapers. The note inside was likewise. I am the killer of crime novelists. It might interest you to know that among them, the other crimes I have committed, I was recently convicted for indecent exposure at a book signing. Jesus, I said. It must have taken ages to cut out and stick down all them letters. He'd have to be unemployed or casually employed or else he'd never find the time. Unless he shirks on other things like doing laundry. My guess... It's that he works in a job where it don't matter how much he stinks, like cleaning stables or selling real estate. Meanwhile, Jimmy was fiddling with the envelope. Get your head out of the clouds, Jimmy, I barked. You gotta be on the ball if you want to get anywhere in this game. Uh, But boss, the killer put his name on the back of the envelope. He handed it to me, and there was the sender's name, sure enough, written with the same cut-out lettering. Mr. I hate crime fiction. It was surrounded with arrows pointing to it, A queer name, but it sounds legit, I said. Who'd make up a name like I hate crime fiction? Hold on to your hat, Jimmy. I think I'm onto something. But I'm not wearing a hat, boss. Shut up and watch. You might learn a thing or two. I remembered that the killer had blah, 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 blah. Then I played the tape, and there it was. He was wearing the very same wig and beard. Thought he could pull the wool over my eyes, hey? I said. Well, he ain't so smart. He ain't so smart at all. But it looks to me like he wanted to be caught. Rubbish. I think it's time we paid Mr. Crime Fiction a visit. What if it's a trap? Trap? If anything's a trap, it's me. I'm the trap. Anyway, who told you you could think? Oh, but maybe there's other hypotheses. Rubbish. What about the letter and the wig and beard? How come he's making such a big deal? Jimmy collapsed in his chair. I had chloroformed him. It was a last resort, you understand. He couldn't see sense if it was stapled to his eyeballs. Though having your eyeballs stapled mightn't help you see much anyway. 
But Jimmy was hampering the investigation. We had to act now. Nab the killer before he realized his mistake and skip town. It was late, after midnight, but as good a time as any. I made ready to leave, yet the question of whether it was a trap still dogged me. Jimmy's reasoning had made no sense, but if there was even the slightest chance, I had to be prepared. I carried Jimmy out to the car and threw him in the boot. Well, I couldn't just leave him drooling on the office furniture, but I weren't keen on him waking up neither. So the two of us headed off for the killer's blah, 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 a warehouse in the industrial blah, blah, blah. I crept down the passage, pausing at every turn, bracing myself at every open door, listening for the slightest sound. The place seemed deserted, but it was hard to tell in the darkness. I had a torch, but I didn't want to switch it on in case it attracted too much attention. Then I fell down some stairs. Though I couldn't see them, just feel them. They were metal and made an awful racket. At the bottom of the staircase, I shakily got to my feet. But suddenly I noticed, right in front of me, a monster of a man. He had the most frightful, sinister appearance. And I realised he was holding a torch close to his chin, purposely angled to make him appear scary. How immature can you get? How pathetic. I had to laugh. I laughed and laughed. And that's when I realised it was myself I was seeing in a mirror. Instinctively, I shone the torch around to see if anyone had witnessed my performance. The torchlight fell on a wall covered with photos, newspaper clippings and scribbled notes, connected by bits of string crisscrossing everywhere. Just about everything was connected to a photo of me. I took a step closer and bumped a table, shone my torch on it and realised someone was seated there. He wore a pair of night vision goggles and gazed right at me. But before I could turn my gun on him, he pressed a barrel to my head. Drop it, you sorry excuse for a detective. I placed my gun gently on the table. God, you really are stupid. Who are you calling stupid, chauvinist? I don't think you're stupid just because you're a woman. God, I'm a woman too. You mean we're both women? Yes. What about the stubble the maid saw? God, Jesus, you were even dumber than you look. I'm amazed they put you on my case. Perhaps the chief of police hates crime fiction too. I wouldn't get so cocky if I was you, crime fiction. Any second now, the... My name's I Hate Crime Fiction. Never leave off the I Hate. Come on. It's always the surname used by authorities in the press. The crime fiction case, crime fiction versus the state. You bet it is. What? It's trying to take over the state. It's a scourge on our society. A threat to the integrity of the human rights. Crime fiction? I told you not to call me that! What the hell are you talking about? Crime fiction. Fictional detectives are the worst. Hard-nosed sleuths as individualistic as ants. But still crime writers churn them out. The same characters, same scenarios, same framework over and over. What are you telling me for? I ain't no fictional detective. Of course you are. Bullshit. I'm the real deal. I hate crime fiction. What? What do you mean, what? You just said I hate crime fiction! What the hell are you talking about? You are a fictional detective. Your story's being written right now as we speak. You're mad. Oh, I'm not the mad one. I knew he'd have to bring us face to face eventually. Who? The writer of this story. The source. He thinks he's so clever, writing a crime story that's anti-crime fiction, 
with all this postmodern authorial intrusion crap. But he's not anti-crime fiction. He's perpetuating it, just like the rest of them. Or worse, laying the foundations for a new take on the genre. What the hell are you talking about? I'm not doing any of that crap. I'm not talking to you. I'm addressing the author. The author? The gig is up, Burger. How can you talk about food at a time like this? Burger is the author's name. Now shut up! Burger? You're kidding me. It's you I aim to kill, said crime fiction to the author. Now raise your hands from the keyboard. The end. Ending two. Hey, you can't refer to the writer's keyboard. You're distancing the reader. Jimmy, I said. I'm glad to see you. Crime fiction has lost her marbles. I told you not to call me crime fiction! Jimmy had his gun on crime fiction, but then he trained it on me. What the hell are you doing, Jimmy? Are you nuts? No way, boss. If this writer really is controlling everything, then he's the one responsible for the murders. Since this is a first-person narrative, you practically are the writer. That's crazy talk, Jimmy. Put the gun down. It ain't crazy. You're always having a dig at me, talking to me like I'm retarded or something. Oh, I see. This isn't about the murders at all, is it? Anyway, who told you you could think? Blah, 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 blah. There's no way you can kill the writer, crime fiction. He's writing everything you do. I got this far, didn't I? Maybe he wants to be shot. But what are you gonna shoot at? You can't see him. He's nowhere and everywhere. Omnipresent. Like a god. I could give him a heart attack. He, he could get too close to his creations, lose sight of reality, and then have a heart attack from the horror of it all. How do you know you won't just kill a reader? A reader? But it hasn't even been published yet. I think it has. Nonsense. This story will end when one of the main characters gets killed. Then kill crime fiction, I yelled. For God's sake. Suddenly, crime fiction shot Jimmy in the chest. He went down like he was winched to the floor. I checked his pulse, but there weren't none. I pulled open his shirt. Jimmy had breasts. Jimmy was a dame too. The bullet had gone straight through her heart. I reached across the floor for Jimmy's gun, but crime fiction had her barrel to my head faster than if it had been glued there all along. I wouldn't touch that gun if I were you. Besides, if what your friend Jimmy said is true, it'd be better for you if neither of us died. We're the main characters. I don't need to kill you to see justice done. They'll lock you away for life. You can't arrest me. If you do... The case will be closed and the story will end. Do you expect me to let you just walk away, scot-free? Don't forget who's holding the gun. I could shoot you anytime. I suppose you're right. Don't think you can beguile me with your feminine wiles, temptress. What the hell are you talking about? I was only adjusting my bra. God! I think it's time for you to leave. With a gun to my back, crime fiction showed me out the door. I called for backup the moment I was outside, but by the time they arrived, crime fiction had flown the coop. They carried Jimmy's body away. I had mixed feelings about my old sidekick, but I would never have wished her dead. There was a lot of explaining to do back at blah, blah, blah. Cases like this really busted my ovaries. It had been a long night. With a couple of hours left before sunrise, I took to the streets and lost myself in the rain, paused beneath an awning, 
lit myself a fag, and I thought about that strange conversation between Jimmy and crime fiction. Surely it was bonkers to think this was all part of a story by some writer. My life wouldn't end if crime fiction died or went to prison. Besides, my job was done. We knew who the murderer was, and it was just a matter of time before she was nabbed. My story could hardly go on if I never saw her again. It might as well end right now. The end. Ending three. Um, after even more wandering, I found myself once again prowling the neighbourhood of my old flame. Her bedroom light was on. I felt game enough to give her another shot. The worst she could do was shut the door in my face, and that was nothing compared to the ringer I'd been through lately. I picked up a pebble and threw it at her window. In a moment, she opened it and looked down angrily, but her expression changed the moment she saw it was me. Oh, Edwina, Edwina, I thought you'd given up on me. Can I come in for a nightcap? She vanished from the window and reappeared before me in the doorway. My old flame. Every bit as ravishing as the day we'd met. If this was a dream, you could shoot me now, I thought. It would be better than shooting me if this wasn't a dream, because then I would die. She held out her hand to me and led me inside. What was to follow was beyond words. But that's another story. The end? The end. You've just been listening to the voices of Adam Norris, Lauren Hamilton-Neal, Eleni Schumacher, Felix Johnson and Oscar Morphew in an adaptation of Eddie Berger's I Hate Crime Fiction. You can read the full version, along with a great range of Australian short crime stories, in Crime Scenes, which is available from the Spineless Wonders website, www.shortaustralianstories.com.au. We've loved sharing our stories with you in 2018. Over the past 14 episodes, we have brought you tales that are global, local, personal and political. We've told stories from the point of view of animals, newborn babies, toddlers, as well as colourful characters and just the ordinary folk next door. From the Top End to WA, from Parramatta Road and all the way to Ho Chi Minh City and Athens. We hope we've made you laugh, moved you and made you think. Our stories are designed to challenge the status quo. I'd like to send a shout-out to the many authors and actors featured in the past shows and to the production team who work behind the scenes for your listening pleasure. A very special mention to our producer and Spineless Wonders publisher, Bronwyn Meehan, who keeps us ticking over each fortnight and on time, and our sound engineers from the University of Technology, Sydney, Kit McCutcheon, Oliver Agbissett, Adrian Vecchio-Erner, Chester Chu and Lachlan Perry, and to Robert Sazdov, Senior Lecturer in Sound Design for his support of the UTS 2RPH Sound Designer in Residence Program. And we'd like to thank our hosts, 2RPH, especially Peter, Danielle and Sancha, for making us feel so welcome at the Glebe Studios. If you have missed any of our shows, or if you'd like to re-listen or catch up on some of the extended interviews I've had with Little Fiction's authors and actors, you can find all of our past episodes on the 2RPH website. Do let us know what you think of the show. Is there a particular theme you'd like to see us cover? What do you love about short Australian stories? What are we getting right? And is there anything else we can do to keep you listening? We'd love your feedback. You can provide it by contacting 2RPH. The contact details are on their website. 
We look forward to you joining us for more fantastic stories performed by talented actors in 2019. Our next show will return at the usual time slot of Monday 3pm in two weeks' time. This episode was produced by Spineless Wonders publisher Bronwyn Meehan and our sound engineer was Chester Chu. I'm Ella Watson-Russell, your Little Fictions On Air host. From all of us at Little Fictions On Air, we're wishing you a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. <laughs>